Hello and welcome to the world of emotions and the Emotion Focused Podcast. The podcast series all about emotions, how they work for us, how seemingly sometimes they don't work for us, and how we might understand that and perhaps do something about it. I'm Lou Cooper. I'm your host. I'm based in Nam, Melbourne, Australia, and I'm joined in this series by people from around the globe who have dedicated most of their professional lives to the exploration of emotions. Everything that you hear on this podcast series is informed by emotion theory and emotion-focused therapy. So far, all the episodes in this series have talked about emotions in individuals, in a single person. But in this episode, we're going to maybe make it more complicated by talking about when there are two lots of emotions, interacting, emotions in couples, the trouble with love. And for this episode, I'm joined by Rhonda Goldman, who is Professor of Clinical Psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and one of the co-developers of emotion-focused therapy for individuals and couples. Rhonda is co-author of the book, Emotion-Focused Therapy for Couples, and trains therapists all around the world in emotion-focused therapy for individuals and for couples. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Can I ask you a very simple question? What is the trouble with love? (laughs) Or maybe we should celebrate love before we go into the trouble. (laughs) Exactly, right? I mean, I think that's the, it answers the same question because the very thing that's the trouble is, is because love can be so great, right? And when you feel connected and safe and secure, and loved and important, you feel so good and you just want more of it. And when that goes away, it's so painful, isn't it? And it's troublesome. Mm. So that's the trouble when it goes away. And Mm -hmm. how do people experience that? How do they talk about it? Yeah, I mean, usually when they talk about it, I hear it as I just feel disconnected or I feel kind of disillusioned or disenchanted, maybe kind of alienated. I think that's the way that it gets reported. Um, yeah, it's 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 really. I mean, this is usually quite painful for people when they when they present themselves to us. So, how does that wonderful feeling of love, feeling safe, feeling connected? How does that turn into, maybe I should say, what's the most common process that happens that leads to it turning into trouble and pain? You know, when we first start out in relationships, often it's quite intoxicating, right? When you're falling in love, falling head over heels in love, there's sort of a an intoxication that comes with that. And then there's been all sorts of research on the brain that shows like what happens, all these, you know, oxytocin and these different neurochemicals that have got lit up. And, and, and so that's often some of the difficulties that, you know, eventually that can't sustain itself. And, and that goes away to some extent. The chocolate bar is finished. 
the chocolate bar is finished. Exactly right. And and so then it's when, in some ways, that's when the real relationship begins. And and then people, you know, they have their vulnerabilities. And I think we all bring our vulnerabilities to our closest relationships. And and we have a lot of needs that get sort of quite activated as as we do. And and then when those vulnerabilities and those needs get activated and then somehow the partner doesn't know how or can't meet those needs, then people will often get quite disillusioned. And then when they get quite disillusioned and disappointed, they then will become, you know, sometimes they become angry, sometimes they withdraw. And that's when, you know, real troubles start because when you start feeling like your partner's pulling away from you, uh, that's when you start to really feel unloved, right? Um, or when you feel like your partner, your beloved is is attacking you, then you really feel unloved. And they may be attacking you without even realizing it. And they may be doing that in a sort of paradoxical way to try to get the love back. But it ends up just kind of backfiring, right? Well, it backfires. And as you're saying that the vulnerability is is going to be shut down. You know, the vulnerability that is kind of needed in order to create that intimate mm-hmm. connection is going to be shut down, isn't it? Absolutely. Because think about it, you know, you have to protect yourself. If you feel so vulnerable and open and raw and exposed maybe, and and then, you know, somehow you're not feeling like your partner's seeing those parts of you and, and able to kind of meet you there, then you kind of want to just like shut down it more to protect yourself right Mm. um and and then the partners don't necessarily see it like oh you know they're trying to protect themselves they see it more like oh they're pulling away from me but i guess there's this switch that gets made when we see people in the therapy room where we start like understanding that they're actually feeling each partner's feeling quite unsafe and unprotected and threatened in the relationship and it's not to do with not loving their partner or not wanting to meet their needs that they're trying to somehow protect themselves. So you're talking about both partners trying to protect themselves. I imagine that it's one partner that is trying to protect themselves first that leads to the other partner ending up in that same position. It's not so easy, actually. Relationships are systems and people are in systems, right? Relationships become systemic and interactional and and so it's really hard to say like one person starts it It, it's really kind of a dance that that begins and gets going and and I mean it's this dance that it's not working oftentimes uh, when there's trouble with love and it's like what we're doing then is trying to change the dance right so that they're more dancing together, dancing in sync, trying to really read the other person and be empathic to them and be sensitive to their partner. And that's sometimes difficult to do when one's feeling so protective. So we're really trying to help them see that, oh, your partner is trying to find a way to love you um, and give you what you need. 
but they're just a little bit afraid or they're feeling like they have to protect themselves. So yeah, I mean, it's really not one versus the other. And I think it's pretty important to see that in relationships when you're working with people in relationships. So there isn't blame. I think blame is quite corrosive to relationships. And often I see that when things go wrong, as you say, the trouble is when people get into a blaming or critical mode. And, you know, people often do that because they're feeling vulnerable and their partner may feel fail to see that that's why they're becoming blaming and, and angry and they just feel attacked and criticized. But in fact, people are in this funny way trying to get their needs met when they're blaming or criticizing their partner. So we often have to sort of talk with them in conversation and and like help them sort of really see what's underneath the, the true vulnerabilities that are underneath for each partner. But yeah, um, I think blame itself is quite corrosive. And a lot of times we're trying to help partners to de-blame, <laughs> if that's a word that we can use, to try to reframe you know, so if you can sort of really see your partner's underlying vulnerabilities, then you're going to feel less blaming, right? It's it's, it's hard when, when you really see somebody's true vulnerability. It's really hard to, I mean, because you love your partner, right? Yeah. And so it actually becomes difficult when you see their vulnerability uh, to, to continue to feel so blaming or angry. And you tend to feel more like melty in your heart when you see your partner's vulnerability. And so that's really what we're trying to do. Mm. Melty in their hearts. Yes, melty in their hearts. This is a clinical term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're talking about vulnerabilities, their vulnerabilities, to be able to see their vulnerabilities. And maybe also is it important to not just see them but to understand their vulnerabilities, to understand what that's about, where that came from? To see them, to understand them, and to feel them. I think that's the key. And it's so fitting, right, because we're doing this emotion-focused podcast. But if you can really show your partner, right, your vulnerability, and they can feel it, then... I think that's when you get the melty in the heart thing. <laughs> so they need to, partners need to melt together. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily right at the same time sometimes. I mean, but yeah, it, it's, I think, to really, for them both to open their hearts. I think that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Mm. It sounds very scary. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I mean, Relationships are very complicated and interesting and potentially extremely fulfilling, but we know they're so tough, right? And it's so scary to to expose your vulnerability in a sort of true way. But, I mean, really, I think if you want deep connection, which I think many, many people do, then you do have to reveal vulnerability so if one partner is in that place of vulnerability is is self-protecting mm -hmm. because they are they are scared how do you go about 
helping the other partner move towards them rather than away? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a really good question and I think that's what we have to be very mindful of because, you know, what I always say is you can't ask one person to take off their clothes while the other one is just completely clothed, right? <laughs> because it, it just feels too exposing and too vulnerable. So we have to create... Unless, of course, that's a gr- the agreement, Rhonda, and that's what's been negotiated. Um, well, even if that's an agreement, right, I, I, I guess I still want to make sure everybody's feeling safe and secure. So, yeah, I suppose it's all about what you can create together and, and what you can agree upon. And, of course, consent is very important. But, but I mean, really, in general, what most people want and what most people seem to feel is that they want to feel like it's equal and it's fair. And so I think you have to create an environment. One person, if, if one is going to reveal vulnerability, they have to know that they're not going to be attacked, they're not going to be blamed, Right. And that it's somehow safe to come out. Mm. And and so there's a lot of work to be done in this process, as you can imagine. Because people also bring their own fears and their own childhood wounds and their own previous relational experiences that make it really difficult to just sort of, you know, be vulnerable. So so we have to really kind of go slow and acknowledge these kind of fears and and the the difficulties um and sometimes we have to confront past traumas and you know so there's a lot of work to be done it's not as simple i mean it sounds simple and in some ways it is but there's a lot of work to get there um and both partners have to feel relatively safe i think to be able to be vulnerable and they have to know that it's okay that they're not going to be attacked and they're not going to be blamed and they're not going to be abandoned. Right. So, so you do have to sort of make the environment quite safe before you can kind of get there. So it's a process like all of this. Does everyone have the capacity to, to be able to meet that vulnerability? Are you saying that, that in order to be vulnerable, one partner needs to know that the other is going to be able to meet that, that it is going to be Right. Does everyone have that capacity? Well, I think everyone has the capacity, but they may not choose that in a particular relationship, right? So, and sometimes it's a matter of figuring that out or discerning that and making sure that it is, in fact, safe for both partners and both partners are committed to this process. So, yeah, I, I think most people have the capacity, but people have to sort of be clear on their choices and who their partner is and if this is a place where they want to do that. So, yes, I think so. I think there are also people that, like, I mean, you know, there's probably always a kind of subset of the population that might be, you know, so wounded or so traumatized um, or so caught up in some kind of maybe an addiction or some kind of process, then it might just not be the right timing for them. And so you kind of have to suss those things out when you're working with people in relationship. But yeah, I mean, I think people have these capacities. It's just a little more complicated than that. 
So, Rhonda, we're kind of a bit limited by time. We can't, can only go so far in this. But I'm wondering if there are people listening who are in relationship at the moment and there is trouble in this particular love, is trying to recognise when the fear pops up or talking about the the need for vulnerability, is, is that somewhere to start? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I think it's also good to recognise that it might be worth talking to a third person. <laughs> and it's actually quite amazing how couples, when they come to therapy, how much headway you can make in quite a short amount of time. And I think that has something to do with what I do when I start working with couples is I sit down with each, and I mean, they sit down with everybody at the same time, but I really listen to each partner and try to understand and validate, you know, their world and the way they see things and their pain, right? Each partner comes to the therapy in some uh, degree of pain. And the interesting thing is that when I can really see it, because I can always see it from each person's perspective, I can hold both perspectives at the same time. Yeah. And they feel like I validate them. Now, it's a process to get to the place where you feel like your partner validates mm-hmm. you. But there's a lot of hope that comes from the therapist being able to validate and see right away. And then there's hope for, oh, if my therapist gets it then there's hope for my partner to get it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, um, in fact, couples therapy can be incredibly productive in a relatively short period of time. It's like you give the couple a kind of kickstart. Like a huge kickstart. Mm-hmm. You know, if people come to you in a sort of escalated state when there's a lot of blaming, a lot of criticism, um, anger, uh, withdrawal, if you can just sort of get that de-escalated to create an environment where people can begin to start to share some of how they feel, you can start making a lot of progress pretty quickly. It doesn't mean you start with their deepest vulnerabilities right away, but you start creating a space and laying groundwork for that um, so that you can get there eventually. So I think that's something that I felt when with working with couples is like this is an incredibly fertile ground where a lot of really productive work can happen. Mm. And at the end of all that, Rhonda, we can create a podcast, not called The Trouble with Love, but The <laughs> Wonder of Love or The Joy of Love or something <laughs> like that. Yeah? Exactly. <laughs> right, right. I think that's what we're aiming for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Rhonda, for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lou, and it's great to talk to you. Uh, Rhonda Goldman is Professor of Clinical Psychology at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and one of the co-developers of emotion-focused therapy for individuals and also for couples. And if you'd like to learn more about Rhonda and her work and emotion-focused therapy for couples and about this podcast and other episodes, and if you'd like to share, please do so and go to our website, emotionfocus.com.